I've heard it many, many different times and from many different people, from many different uh, settings and situations, but the message is always the same. The first time I heard it, I was just a little boy, and it came from my mom. I was, uh, I was, I don't know, maybe second, third grade, something like that, and I had come out of my room, and I had in my hand a little bag with some clothes in it, a change of underwear, and a, a change of clothes, and some pajamas, and I was going to spend the night, it was the first time this was going to happen, I was going to spend the night at my friend Randy's house, and and as they pulled in the driveway, Mona, his mom, Randy's mom, honked the horn, and and I shot out of my room, headed out. But before I could get out, my mom caught me, and uh, this is what she did. Hey, oh, I'm glad you're sitting here. She she grabbed me and turned me around with her hands kind of on my shoulders, looked me square in the eye, and she said, probably what you've heard before. She said, "Be a good boy." I nodded my head yes and went out. And and I've heard. In a sense, that same speech many times through life, going to a friend's house, going to school, going to a church function when I graduated high school, going to a graduation party, my mom reminded me to be a good boy. When I, when I went away to college, mom said, be a good boy. When, when I got married, uh, well, actually she looked at Rita and said, good luck. He's your problem now. Uh, something like that. But I've heard or given that speech in many times, many different, places, and a lot of you have as well. Some of you are teachers, and, and probably before you get off the, the school bus at a uh, uh, at an event or at a field trip, you you let the kids know, hey, be good. You're representing uh, Troy School, or you're representing D. West, or you're representing Riverside, or, or whatever school it might be. Be a good boy. Be a good girl. Represent them. Remember who you're you're representing, and, and, and do a good job. We we're going to look this morning at one more place where we hear where we hear that speech. In essence, the apostle Paul says says to the church, "Be a be a good boy, be a be a good girl, uh, do what what you're called to do, and don't forget who you're representing." If you have your Bibles, turn with me in the book of Philippians. And as I mentioned the, the last couple of weeks, we're we're studying in Philippians for the next couple of months, and so you can kind of follow along. As we go through the, the book, I would encourage you to be reading the book of Philippians. It's only four short chapters. It's real easy read. And I will guarantee you that God's just going to have things jump off the page at you as you read the book. Let's look at the text this morning, verses 27 to 30. Uh, I'll be honest, 27 is going to be where we land most of the time. We're going to sit there for a while and we'll just touch on some of the other verses as we finish up today. Verse 27 says this, whatever happens, Conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Let me let me read that phrase once more. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed and that you will be saved, and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe on him, but to also suffer for him. That's kind of a, a weird phrase. Go back and read that again. But verse 30 then finishes up. Uh, Since you are going through the same struggle that you saw I had and that I and now here that I still have. Paul, Paul encourages them to be worthy. I don't know about you, but when I read 
that verse, when I read verse 27 and, and verses like it, we're gonna, we're gonna look a bit later on at a couple of verses that say about, about a, a, exactly the same thing. When, when I read that verse, the first thing that comes to my mind, the first thing that pops into my head is, I'm not worthy. Anyone else like that? When you, when you read that verse where it says, to conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, the first thing that comes to my thought is, man, I don't think I can do that. Uh, and, and let me share with you two thoughts in as we start. I, I think first of all, it's good if that's what you thought. When you read, live, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel, and your first thought that pops in your mind is, man, I don't know that if I can handle that. I don't, I don't know if I can live worthy. I think that's good because then it shows a realistic image of ourselves that we stand as sinners in, in, in need of a savior, that we stand as sinners in need of a sovereign God. And in comparison to God's holiness, we stand unworthy of his grace and mercy. In fact, I would be concerned if you read verse 27 and your response was, that's easy. I, I can nail that. That, that's no problem. Give me something more difficult. Then that, let me, let me kind of illustrate that thought, uh, that, that I'd be concerned if you had. Uh, Monday night, I was, uh, uh attended the, the Troy, uh, JV football game, and I got home, and it was late in the third quarter of the Chiefs Monday night game against the Denver, uh, Denver Broncos. Uh, sorry, Bryce, uh, on the outcome of that game. There's one Bronco fan here. I won't name him by name, Bryce. But, uh, uh, but I got home. At, Late in the third quarter, and when I flipped the TV on in the kitchen, they were showing Von Miller, the the defensive defensive end, right, Derek? That's his okay. Defensive end, the the, the touted uh, All Pro, great defensive end of uh, of the Broncos was trotting off the field, and and he was saying something to this effect: "You can't do that. You can't do that here." Now I don't know what what he was responding to. I don't know if he had stopped a run on third down, if he had knocked down a pass, or I, I don't know what it was what it was in response to, but. But basically it was this, it was him being very confident, him being very, let's just be honest, he was very cocky that, man, we are, we are in our house now and you can't do that here. And I remember thinking, it really wasn't a very Christian thought, but I remember thinking, I hope he gets his. I hope we wipe that smile off his face. I hope he, he has to eat those words, you can't do that here. Didn't it, didn't it late in the fourth quarter? He, uh, Mahomes was rolling out to the left and Von Miller was, was in hot pursuit and, and you couldn't see it, but I bet his eyes were big because he knew that he was going to get the sack and he just knew that he was going to get Mahomes and he leaped out and had Mahomes by the ankles. He was probably already thinking about what his post sack celebration was going to be like probably already deciding between a couple different dances he was going to do one of them was going to he was going to stand over Mahomes and shake his finger like you can't do that here again another one he was going to run about 10 yards out and point to his chest or flex or who was it Neil Smith that used to do the bow and arrow whatever he was he, he was probably thinking that's what I'm going to do and if you watch the game he flits right hand to left hand shot put at the ball to Tyreek Hill first down and uh I didn't hear anything that Von Miller said as he walked slowly back to his, his huddle. And I'm thinking, wow, that's good. So, so if, if your attitude is Von Miller first play, uh, and live worthy, man, I can do that. I am all over that. I, I would be, I would be concerned. So see, it's good. It's good if we can see that verse and when it calls us to live worthily and at least causes some pause for us. At least we stop and think, live worthy, man, that, 
that seems hard. That seems difficult. That seems like a tall task. I think it's good if we realize that, that, that God is God and we aren't. But, uh, I think it's also bad. See, that's bad if we see that verse and we think, well, I'm not worthy. Because the problem is, when we read that verse or verses like it, oftentimes, oftentimes we just give up. It's my tendency when I read a, a verse like that that's calling me to something really big, that's calling me to something really strong or really hard, that, that it's easy for me to just say, you know what, I, I don't think I can do that. And, and if we read that verse in verse 27 and come away with that thought, then we miss what Paul wants us to grab there. We miss what he wants us to understand. I have a, a friend named Brian who, um, in, in high school ran cross country. He was, an all-state cross-country runner in the state of Iowa. When he became an adult, I met him in college. When he became an adult, he continued to run. And in his adult years, ran several different marathons. Today, at 60, uh, he's still running uh, and loves it. But but when he was a, a pastor in the Twin Cities, he just moved to the Twin Cities in Minnesota. And and his, his son, Lenny, was uh, about 7th or 8th grade, just a junior high kid. And Lenny was struggling. Lenny was kind of in that in that time where he didn't know who he was. He was a little bit awkward, a little bit shy, going to a new school, having a hard time making friends. And a lot of times junior high kids, uh, you know, find themselves in that case. And, and that, that was the case with Lenny. So Brian one day came home from the office and, and he had a great idea. He said, Lenny, why don't you start running? Why don't you try out for the cross country team? And, and Bruce thought that was, that was the perfect answer. Man, if I, if I get him doing that, number one, it's great for him to get out and exercise. Secondly, he'll, he'll be a part of a team and get to know other people. And, and it wasn't about winning because he probably wasn't going to do that, but it was about just doing something and being part of a team. And so, so he's Lenny, hey, why don't you join the cross country team? The tryout's here in a couple weeks. And, and, and his suggestion was met with less than an, an enthusiastic response. Lenny was like, eh, I don't know. And, and so, so Brian let it drop, and a couple days later, he brought it up again. Hey, Lenny, have you have you signed up for the cross country? And again, Lenny just kind of, ah, I don't know, Dad, and and, and just kind of changed the subject. And and then Brute mentioned a couple more times. And then he began to get a little bit worried. Well, you know, maybe this is my dream, and it's not Lenny's dream. As parents, we struggle with that sometimes. How far do we push? How hard do we push? And and so I thought, you know, I'm going to bring it up one more time. So so one more day, he brought it up. Lenny, have you thought about joining the cross country team? And this time, Lenny looked at him and said, Dad, Dad, and he confessed his fear. He said, Dad, I don't know if I can run the three miles that I have to run. See, across country is 3.1 miles, 5K. He said, I don't know, I don't know if I can run 3.1 miles without stopping. See, he had convinced himself that there's no way he could run that distance. And so when are you going to try? Bruce smiled at him and said, Hey, Lenny, I guarantee you, I'll have you running that distance. Tomorrow morning, we're going to get up early, and we're going to run. And if you run a mile, fine. The next day, we'll run a little bit more, and the next day, and I guarantee in a week's time, I will have you running 3.1 miles. See, my my fear is that we could read a verse like this. Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. We could read that and say, man, I can't do that. I can't do that. And we just blow it off and forget about it and not worry about what it what it means. So, so I want you to understand one thing this morning. In fact, if, if, if this is all you get from today, in fact, I could, I could just throw this out. It's in your notes. You can fill it in and we could just stop the sermon right there. I'm not going to, but we could, uh, and it would be okay if you got this. But, but, but let me throw this out. Will, will you remember this? If you remember nothing else from today, will you, 
remember this, you can. The, the reason I know that is because the scripture says it. So, so if you're here today and you're struggling feeling, feeling like you're not worthy, you can. Uh, if you're here today and you look at your life and say, I've got sin in my life, well, join the club, but you can. If you're here today and you have doubts and, and uncertainties in your life, well, that's okay, you can. If you're here this morning and you look at your life and say, man, my life is a mess, it's okay, you can. If you're here today and you're mad at God, something's gone wrong, and man, you're just shaking a fist at God, that's all right, you can. If you have more questions than answers, you can because God's Word says, God's Word says that we can. Uh, if you have your Bibles again, let, let me look at verse 27 there in Philippians chapter 1. And he starts this way and he says, whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy. What he's, what he's talking about in that whatever happens is what we talked about last week. Remember last week we talked that Paul was in prison and he didn't know, and he talks about it two or three different times in this text, he didn't know if he was going to live or die. He didn't know if he was going to come see the church at Philippi in person again or not. He didn't know if he was going to get to serve Jesus or if he was going to end up seeing Jesus face to face. Paul didn't know what was going to happen, but but he knew this. In the midst of all of his uncertainty, he, he said to the church, conduct yourself in a manner worthy. It's a plea, it's a command, it's an encouragement but it's also a statement. So let's look at two simple things here today. Here's the first one. What's the meaning? What? Okay, he says that we're to do this, and, and because he says it, then we are able to. Then what does it mean? If our first in, inclination is I can't, by Paul saying it, he's telling us we can. Let's find out what he's talking about. Catch this. It's, it's who we are. When he says to conduct yourself, in a manner where it, it really is who we are. Does anyone, does anyone here today have the King James version? Are you reading the King James? Anyone? Chad, you got it? Ooh, I don't know if I, well, read it, read this, that first half of the first verse. Then I'll tell you if you're right or wrong. I don't know what it says. 27. Wrong. That would change the, it changed the word, the new King James. Anyone have the old King James? Oh. Perfect, perfect. Only let your conversation be. Great thing about iPhones, you can pick up any version you want and just have it at, at, at a moment's notice. I forgot about that. So it says, let your conversation. Now that's not an accurate translation, actually. They translated it from the, the, the Latin and that's where they kind of got that word. But it, but it has an interesting idea, an interesting bit, bent to it. And it's starting to get at the real idea of conducting yourself in a manner to let your conversation, which would be, hey, how you're living, how you're talking, let that represent uh, the, the Christ. The Greek word that is used there for, for conducting yourself in a manner, the Greek word is a Greek word uh, called this. It's paletio, paletio. Now, let me say it real fast. There's an English word that comes from this word. I'm going to see if anyone can, can put the two together. It's the word paletio. Anyone want to guess what the English word that might Palette? Nope, nope, that's not it. Polite? What do you have? I'm, I'm afraid. Huh? Potato. <laughs> no, but it does mean potato. So that, that is close. Polite? You're actually right, but there's another one that is about as far from polite as you get. We get our word political 
from that word. Can you imagine? Polite and plural. How in the world do those, both those words come, come out? But actually the, the best translation of it is, now it doesn't flow and that's why they don't say it. That's why they, it says conduct in a manner. But, but what it literally is talking about is citizenship. The word uh, paletio is, means citizenship. So because of your citizenship, live worthy. Because of who you belong to, live worthy. Because of who you pledge an allegiance to, live worthy. Because of who you bow down to, live worthy. William Barclay in his commentary says this. He says, Paul was writing from the very center of the Roman Empire, from Rome itself. It was the fact that he was a Roman citizen that had him, that had him brought here. Uh, if you remember last week, we talked that he had appealed to Caesar. That's why he was in prison in Rome. Philippi was a Roman colony. And Roman colonies were little bits of Rome planted throughout the world where the citizens never forgot, catch this, they never forgot that they were Romans. Paul was writing to a group of people that would have understood this concept and this principle well. So when they read this, they might have taken it completely different than what we do. They would have understood this, that they were Roman citizens, that they were proud of being a Roman citizen, that being a Roman citizen defined who they were. And Paul takes that attitude, takes that understanding, takes that passion, and he refocuses it on Christ. So when he says to live in a manner, uh, in a manner worthy, he's talking about living like a citizenship citizen of a different kingdom, not of Rome, but instead of instead of Christ. Now. I may step on some thin ice here, and if I do, uh, understand I don't mean to offend anyone at all, but maybe, maybe we need to hear this verse now. Especially in our, the, the political environment that we find ourselves in today. Maybe we need to hear Paul's words the way the church at Philippi would have heard his words. Church, what would happen if we as believers were to refocus our passion on our citizenship in the kingdom of Jesus? What if we were what we're passionate about serving Jesus, about serving others, about living a Christ-like life? What if, what if we could be as passionate about our heavenly citizenship as we are about our American citizenship? Now, I'm not, I'm not saying that we, we can't be passionate about things that, that, that deal with our country. I'm not saying that we can't have a voice. I'm not saying that we can't care. I'm not saying that we shouldn't have an opinion, either one side or the other. I'm not saying that at all. But what if the energy, the excitement, the motivation, the dedication, the passion, what if, what if that, that boils over in us on the hot topics of the day, what if instead we had that kind of passion about the things of Jesus? What if we were passionate about being like Jesus and having his heart, his mind, his gentleness? Now catches, that's what Paul was saying to the church at Philippi. When he said, conduct yourself in a manner, that's exactly how they would have understood it. See, see, when we read that verse, our first thought, or at least it's mine, now maybe no one else agreed with me, but, but when I read that, my first thought is, well, man, I can't be worthy. That's, that's a tall task. I can't be worthy. That's not how they would have taken it. That's not, not at all how they would have taken it. Their first thought would have been, can I? Can I? Can I value my citizenship in Jesus more than my citizenship 
in Rome. In, in other words, what Paul was saying, redefine who I am. See, the, per- the, the church of Philippi would have understand the meaning very well. Know who you are for them meant living for Jesus. Uh, when I was in, uh, in about third or fourth grade, uh, I, I had a kid in my, my, uh, my class named Frank, Frank Bechtel. Um, in fact, I graduated high school with Frank Bechtel. I didn't start out with Frank. Frank, uh, started out in my sister Cindy's class. And, uh, she was a year older than me, but, but about second grade, Frank kind of struggled. Uh, we didn't know then, found out years later he was d- dyslexic. He actually was very smart, but, but he struggled to read because of his dyslexia and no one knew what that was back then. And so, so he struggled in school. So he ended up in my class. So I went the rest of school with Frank and Frank, Frank grew up in, uh, in my neighborhood for several years. He lived right across the alley. Then he moved to the far end of town, uh, away from us, which was like a, a block and a half away. And, um, uh, and so, so, so we were close. He went to his, to, to the same church. His mom was my Sunday school teacher. Uh, it seemed like my whole childhood she was my Sunday school teacher, but, but so I was very close to, to Frank. And, and Frank's name actually wasn't Frank Bechtel. It was Morris Franklin Bechtel. And somewhere around fifth grade, we discovered that. I mean, some people, some kids discovered that, that his name was Morris Franklin. And I don't know why, I don't know why we, I mean, I don't know why they thought it was funny. The name Morris was funny, but, but one day they, they, someone said to Frank and, and they called him by that name. They said, Hey, Morris. And they are, we are, yeah, I, I was a part of it. We laughed at him. But I'll never forget Frank's response. He snapped his head around. And I, I, the hair on the back of his neck stood up and his eyes flew wide open. It almost had fury coming out of them. And I'll never forget what he said. He looked at the group and he said, that's not what he said. <laughs> that was perfect timing, though. <laughs> Like, hold it, hold up. No, again. He said, uh, where was I? He said, Kazuntite. No, he said, he said, my name is Morris Franklin Bechtel, and I'm proud of it. And, you know, that, that threw me for a second, because I, I had never, and I have, have never said, my name's Timothy Eugene Champ, and I'm proud of it. I, I never like my middle name. I'm not real fond of my first name. You know, now Rita says all the time, my name's Rita Estelle Renfro Champ, and I, uh, you didn't know her middle name. You do now, Estelle. Um, and, uh, I never said that, so it just kind of, kind of threw me, but I've never forgotten that. And, and for two or three years, if we wanted to see Frank's ire jump up, we wanted to see him angry, we could, we'd call him Morris, and he would say the same thing over and over again. But, but here's the truth. I guess this is why it's always stuck with me. Is he knew who he was. He knew who he was. He was Morris Franklin. And he was proud of He was confident in that. So, so part of this meaning here is, uh, is who we are. It's who we are. And it's what we are. We are a Christ follower. Look at verse 27. Look at the, the second half of that verse. Verse 20 says, Then, whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know. So Paul's saying whether I get out of prison and I see you face to face, or or I only hear about it third party, someone comes from Philippi and they let me know. He's saying, 
No matter what happens, I will know. I will know that you're living for Christ. I will know that you're having a a citizenship that centers on Christ and not on the world. In, in fact, if you have your Bibles, flip over. We'll look at a couple of the verses that talk about that in Ephesians chapter 4. So if you move over one book to the left or one book towards the front of the Bible, Ephesians chapter 4, uh, verse 1 says this, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. Verse 2, be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Sounds an awful lot like what we just read there in uh, in uh, in Philippians, and then over in Colossians. So one book to the other side, one book back to the right. Colossians chapter one verse ten, and Paul there says, "And I pray this in order that we may live a life worthy of the Lord and may please Him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work." He he basically is saying there we we are to live worthy. We we are to live like Christ so people see Jesus in us. Earlier this week, I, I called my son Joel, in, uh, our son Joel in Springfield, and, and I was asking him how Thomas, uh, Thomas Hajun, our newest grandson, the little boy they adopted from Korea, I was asking how he was doing. And, and, and somewhere in that conversation, we got laughing, and, and Joel just made the conversation, or made the comment, he said, Says, I don't know when it's going to happen, but it will happen someday. It could be, it could be a couple years from now. It might be when he's in kindergarten. Maybe, maybe he's in third grade, but there's going to come a day someone will say something or he may just be, be acutely aware of it all of a sudden. But the day is coming when Thomas will know that he's adopted. Maybe he'll look at a mirror and he'll look down at his hands and then he'll look over at Isaiah and then over to Isabel and Evelyn and at mom and dad and like, I'm different than you. My skin color is different. My, my facial features are different. My, my hair is different. It sticks out on the sides. And now he does have a high forehead, so he kind of looks like a champ that way, but, but, but I look completely different from you. So, so, so the, the day is coming where he's going to look and realize not, something's different here. But before Joel and Heidi even knew that Thomas was going to be their son, they had already started planning for that day. They'd already decided that they wanted to introduce him to his culture, to, to the fact that he was from Korea. So Heidi found a, a Korean-speaking church in Springfield and befriended a bunch of people there, which worked out great in Seoul. They were able to hook up with some of those family members who took them around Seoul and introduced them to the culture and, and what it was like to be Korean. And, and they've already planned that when Thomas is older, maybe in high school or college, they're going to plan a trip back to Seoul and they'll take him to meet his foster mom and dad that that he knew for his first 16 months, and they'll take him to his country of birth and introduce him to a culture. See, there's an undeniable truth about Thomas. It's in his core. It's in his DNA. He's Korean. Now, he may have a passport that says citizen of United States, but that's not what he is. He's Korean. So Paul says, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel. He wants us to understand that we can because it's who we are. It's what we are. And finally, what's the plan then? If, if we can, and that's what it means, is that we're to live like a citizen of heaven, okay, what's the plan? I, I'm going to zip through this fast. We, you can kind of add your own application to this. Uh, part of the plan is that we stand firm. Paul says, I will know that you stand firm in one spirit. I will know that you stand firm. Paul's encouragement to us 
as we live in, in a different kingdom is that we stand firm in our faith. Uh, I told you I wouldn't do too many Hawaii stories, but I, I'm going to add one. Uh, when Rita and I went on our, uh, our dinner cruise, we, I talked about it a couple weeks, weeks ago about the lady that had some problems on that, but, but, but on that cruise, before we ever left the dock, the, the safety officer who, who also was like the third mate and he's the one that served drinks and, and cooked the meal, our safety officer stood up in front of all of us and gave us a safety and kind of a safety message. And, and he basically told us two things. No matter where you are in the boat, hold on. Uh, he said, I don't care if you've got a drink in one hand and a camera in the other hand. Other hand, you got to drop one of them and hold on to a rail. So no matter where you are, hold on so that you don't fall off the boat. And the other thing he said was, do you remember what it was, Rita? You don't. Okay. The other thing he said was, when you're on the boat, keep your legs locked. Keep your knees locked. Keep your legs straight. And everything in me, I thought, I thought it was a joke. Because everything in me says, no, that's backwards. Bend your knees. I play baseball and basketball. and, and don't, Isn't that what you tell? Defense, bend your knees. Derek would yell at his guys if they all just stood out there locked knees. But that's what, that's what he said. Lock your knees. And, and I thought that's opposite. But all the while we were on the boat and sometimes hitting some pretty big waves and bouncing, I, I was continually being reminded, keep my legs locked. And if I forgot about it, Rita was sitting over on the side saying, lock your legs, Tim, because she didn't want me to go flying over because that would be embarrassing to have to say my husband fell in when you go pick him up and uh, or at least make that decision. Do we pick him up or do we go on to get him on the way back? I, but but lock your knees. Stay firm. Paul says, Paul says as application, what's the plan? Well, stand firm. He, he says that we are to contend as one man for the faith of the gospel. In other words, we are to, to, to be together. Now, Rita's going to yell at me for saying this later because I said something uh, similar to this a while back. But do you know that you don't have to come to church to be a Christian? You can be a Christian and not come to church. That's not a get-out-of-free-jail card, by the way. But, but why, why would you think that way? See, see, for me, I need the church. I, I, I can only grow. I can only find encouragement. I, I, I find the strength I need to make it through the mess of this life by being around other believers, by having other people encourage me and lift me up, by, by being a part of something bigger than me. That, that's the only way that I think I can truly live for Christ is to know that I've got people around me. That's why Jesus knew that too, and, and the church is part of his, is his bride. That's why Jesus decided that. But, but, but why wouldn't I want to be around the church? See, we're to contend as one. We need each other, and the church needs each one of us. So we have to stand together, and finally, we have to stand strong. He says, without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. He goes on to say they're going to face persecution just like just like he was facing. But without being frightened, stand. Stand strong. His name was, his name was Herman. Uh, I, I was a, a senior in Bible college. Reed and I had just got, gotten married that summer before. And, uh, and that, that spring, I decided to answer a call to, uh, to pastor at a church in Chelsea, Oklahoma. So, uh, so, so we headed out one, 
uh, early one Sunday morning, uh, drove the hour and 15, hour and 20 minutes to Chelsea, Oklahoma, and, and, and drove up to this little white country church out in the middle of nowhere uh, named White Christian Church. And when I walked in the back door of that church, the first one to greet me that day was, was Herman. And I'll never, I'll never forget what he said to me after we came in. I, he, he, he said to us, you know, I said basically, hey, I'm here to try out. And, and the truth was, I, would, I, I was pretty confident I would get the church, that they would vote me in because I was the only one that had applied for this little country church that only had 10 or 12 members. And, and so, so I, uh, I, 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 I walked in the back door and Herman looked at us and he, he asked me, he said, where are you from, boy? And I said, well, I grew up in, uh, uh, I grew up in Illinois. John, if you guys want to come on up. I grew up in, uh, in Illinois and my, my wife, she grew up in Kansas. I'll never forget his response. Yankees, huh? I said, yeah. And he kind of, kind of just looked at me, you know, glared at me for a little bit. And I, my first thought was, do I, do I just turn around and walk back out? Uh, but finally a little bit of a smile came across his face and, and he said, that's okay. We'll, we'll let Yankees come to church here. And then he looked over and he hollered. He said, hey, hey Ernie and Marie, come here. New preachers here. And they come over and, and he said, this is Tim and Rita. They're Yankees. And like, you know, so, so they greet us and, and, and one by one as the 15 people came in, they had a big crowd that day. As they came in, one by one, he would introduce us, introduce us. And, and, and each time he would say, they're Yankees. And, uh, and, and there was a little bit of a law between people coming in and we're, we're kind of just standing there a little awkward. I don't know what to do. How do I get away from this guy that obviously is a rebel? And, uh, and, and I happened to glance at the back of the church, like up against the wall was an old, and it was old, but this old overstuffed easy chair. Lena just sitting there. I'd never seen that in a church. And, and, and Herman must have noticed my eyes kind of glance at that chair. And, and, and he just said to me with no explanation, that's my chair. Almost like, no, you're not going to sit there. That's my chair. And, and, and I made a quick deduction. Hey, this guy runs things. This guy's in charge. This guy's the, the head dog and, and, and don't touch his, his chair. So, so the service went fine after the service was over. Ernie and, and Maria asked us to go out to, to lunch and they took us to a restaurant. And, and while we sat and ate, they began to tell us a little bit about the church and they talked about the history of the church and, uh, they talked about times when, when the church used to run, you know, 100, 150 people, but you know, life had changed. People had moved from the country into the city and, and drove to bigger, bigger towns to bigger churches and they were struggling along and, and she began to talk about some of the members of the church and, and then she began to talk about Herman. And what I expected was an apology. Well, I'm sorry for old Herman there. He, he thinks he runs the church. He thinks he's, that's what I expect her to say, but that's not what she said at all. She said, he said, I, you may have noticed old Herman sitting in the back of his chair. Of course, obviously, he couldn't. He told us it was his chair. And, uh, and she said, well, the last couple of years have been hard for him. He's had uh, like three or four back surgeries and a couple serious stomach surgeries. A couple times they thought they'd lost him on the operating table. And the last two years have been really hard for him. And, and, and he would come into church and he would try to sit in those old wooden pews and they had some unpadded hard as 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 oak wouldn't use he he would sit as long as he could and then he'd have to stand up then it got where he couldn't even sit for a little while he would just stand at the back leaning against the wall during church Uh, and then one day someone brought this old stuffed chair and and he could sit in that and didn't didn't hurt him but but she made this comment she said said to us you know we told him herman it's okay 
it's okay if you miss church. If your back's hurting, if, you're, if, if your, your stomach doesn't feel good, if you're really uncomfortable, it's, it's okay if you don't come to church some Sunday. He said, but his answer always inspired us. Because basically, he said, you know what? That's my family. That's my life. Maybe what Paul really is saying to us here in chapter 1, verse 27, that's your citizenship. That's who you are. That's what you are. The church is your family. Live. Live for him. Father, we thank you that your word speaks truth to us. And even though a verse might jump out and seem hard for us to catch, it has been. Father, we can live worthy as we just put your will in your church and living for Jesus at the forefront of our lives. Father, help us do that. Help us do that.